0: This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, we're back into it. Nine minutes away from a news update. On the other side of the news, we'll be talking to Chris Lang. He's the senior manager with this Aviva Fraud Project, where they've uh, just come out with their second annual report that shows that fraud is costing Ontarians about $2 billion a year, and uh, as a consequence, many in this Survey that they conducted say that uh, I guess about 75% believe that uh, fraud is committed by about uh, 25% of the uh, occasions when you've got uh, cars being reported broken into and so on and so forth. You know, on that note, uh, I wanted to talk about something else that has to do with insurance, first of all. Alex Manassian, this is the individual who's alleged to have killed all those people with the van attack last April. Uh, Apparently, insurance may not pay out to people in a civil case, you know, make them whole as they were, the ones who have uh, survived with horrific injuries, 16 in total, uh, for which he's been charged with 16 counts of attempted murder, because it was considered to be intentional, intentional this is
1: an accident
0: yeah like a drunk driver who uh would not willfully have gotten into the car to kill people this is something that's i guess it's a loophole that the insurance companies may not have to pay out uh what do you say to that rocco rossi do we need to close this loophole
1: yeah and and i think these are the kinds of uh quote unquote loopholes that uh, give an entire industry a really bad name uh when you've got people hurting and uh and people who've paid into uh, into plans all their lives, there's got to be a way of of addressing this situation. And uh, and and clearly, um, these these
0: people need to be made whole. I guess the situation is that uh, in this particular case, Manassian's insurance wouldn't be paying out. Because again, they say we don't cover somebody who's got malice aforethought or evil intent. Well, and who knows if he's got coverage at all. I mean, well, and you then know, you've got the know. Ryder Truck Rental Company that's right. also been named in the civil suit, uh, which obviously they're fighting. But uh, again, they say they did everything according to Hoyle. How could they have possibly anticipated something like this? So they don't want to pay out the insurance as well. What do we say in this front?
1: you know this is really a tough one and it seems like you know when you talk about you know start splitting hairs as to why they would not pay out to the to the survivors you know the, and we all run into these type of people i call them the by the book people that you know look at the look at the rules read them and say okay well this is just the way it is But, you know, there's real extenuating circumstances here. And even though it wasn't an accident or an act of God, so to speak, you know, it was horrific. And you really have to take the context of how this all happened before you start quoting chapter and verse. So somebody has to pay. Somebody's insurance company is going to pay. I don't know who it will be. But certainly um, I think that, you know, you made the the correct assumption that this is one of those things that could really be a black mark on an entire industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they say the statutory minimum for coverage would be $200,000, uh, and that's for everybody. So it's a pittance. I mean, it's, you know, 10, it, 12 grand a piece.
2: It really becomes unfortunate when insurance companies start to get into semantics about whether people are covered or not. I mean, when you buy travel insurance, there's a disclaimer in there that says they're not going to cover you for acts of war. So you go off to a war region and you're involved in a war. But the people walking along uh, Young Street were not. In a war zone. Um, That may well be you know, we'll find out what the courts say, an act of terror, an act of war, however it's, it's looked at. But it comes down to semantics. I've even heard of health insurance claims that were denied because the people were asked, were you ever tested for BP or for blood pressure? Um, uh, and, and they say no, because I've never had high blood pressure. But they say, oh yeah, remember when the doctor put the cuff on you? That was mm-hmm. a test for high blood pressure. Therefore, we're not going to cover your, your heart disease now. Those kind of semantics are things people get very angry about. And I think insurance companies often are seen and whether it's true or not, as uh, working to find ways not to pay. And it would seem that's what's happening Almost here. Almost sounds
0: like a perjury trap in the Mueller investigation. I've got to ask you, Mr. Sparrow, I know before you were into the thespian thing, uh, mm-hmm. you were also a first responder with EMS. That's right, yeah. And, and now there's a, a report, and we talked to Jim Karagiannis, who's a city counselor from out Scarborough Way last week. Uh, he's claiming, based on a tweet from the union rep right now, that there are not enough uh first responders or EMS workers out there. And sometimes at the peak, I guess it was the night of November 25th at 3.30 in the morning, only 16 vehicles were available to a city of almost 3 million people. What do you hear? What do you know?
2: Well, I got to tell you that uh, first off, uh, full disclosure, it's been 30 years since I was a paramedic, but we didn't have enough ambulances back then. (laughs) And the exact same thing was, was going on is that the time that it took to transfer a patient to the staff in the ER meant that the ambulance may, well be out of service for 45 minutes or or an hour as it waited uh, to transfer them over to the staff because the emergencies are overcrowded and the ambulances can't just leave the person in the hallway and walk away and hope that somebody will check up on them. They have to follow uh, due process in handing them over. These uh, uh, paramedics and and ambulance folks are working 12-hour shifts. A typical call is going to take at least an hour to, you you respond, you pick up the patient, you bring them back, you've got the paperwork to do. These guys and Guys and gals end up doing 14-hour shifts and longer, multiple days in a row. I think the longest shift, the C-shift, is like six days. And that's uh, a hell of a lot of work. And you start to become exhausted when when you're doing that. Um, so, in fact, we have a growing city. We do need more ambulances. We uh, do need more ambulance uh, workers and, and paramedics. And we also need to address what's going on in the emergency departments. Uh, you know, under a previous government, they closed a lot of hospitals in in, in the area. And, in fact, we need perhaps uh, more uh, based on the expansion of our population.
1: But, but Dave, one of the other things we need to do is because you originally um Johnny said uh, first responders and then said, okay, the paramedics and ambulance people. We also have this whole group called firemen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have police. We have first responders across multiple uh, that that receive a certain amount of training on first aid and other things. And there's always been this incredible turf battle between all of the different first responders where I'm not sure that we're maximizing. And that's not to say that there is sufficient and just work it out. But I think as we look at resourcing, we also should look at what could happen in terms of a cross-functional basis, particularly with fire and paramedic.
2: Well, you're absolutely right, Rocco, is they have tiered responses. Right. Um, they have uh, police, fire, and then ambulance. Try to get somebody with some training out to the, the scene. Uh, the police, to to my understanding, they're not carrying automatic defibrillators or, or oxygen sometimes the fire fire are are, and so they can deal with the crisis but they can't transport the patient and they're not carrying the drugs and other things that uh, can now be given in the field in order to sustain life and then when you do transport the patient that's where the backlog actually occurs as you arrive in the emergency department um, my my wife happens to work at one of the uh, teaching hospitals here in Toronto when I go to pick her up oftentimes I'll see seven eight ambulances lined up in the emergency and each one of those is a patient that has need an emergency response and needs to be handed over to the staff in a functional way so that the person uh, receives the attention that, that they need. And it can't be simply grab them off one stretcher and we're out to do the next call. Mm. They actually have to follow some kind of procedure.
0: All right. Well, uh, and you know, there's always that complaint too. Rocco, you kind of alluded to it. Uh, less love shown to the EMS than there is to police and fire.
2: fire. It, yeah. it, it's no, true, sure. unfortunately, is, yeah. is that the fire firemen especially are considered heroes. The police are considered people who put their lives on the line and the EMS come in and just uh, clean up the damage. But in fact, um, uh, I certainly, if I were to have a coronary incident, a lot of lives, I'd like a paramedic start doing CPR <laughs>
0: You know, and if it were up to me, Sparrow, you, you'd have a calendar, you and your colleagues. And, uh, this well, maybe be. not Sparrow, but uh, let's no, be serious here.
2: No, I, I
1: don't I'm know. Not, I just looked at his IMDb. I've got to tell you, some I'm great headshots there. I'm not fat. I there. just have a
2: really thick skin, but uh, I don't know that I need to be on a calendar.
0: All right. Well, the calendar says we've got to move uh, into Hour 3, so I appreciate you coming in this Tuesday afternoon. Rocco Rossi, Alyssa Freeman, David Sparrow. We'll talk again next time. Thank you so much. Basking in reflected glory. Yes, you are. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.